Welcome to Reflections from the Heart, presented by Stewardship, a mission of faith. Reflections from the Heart with your host, David Abel, is an outreach of gospel reflection, a ministry of stewardship, a mission of faith. For the next 30 minutes, please join David as he breaks open the bread of life in the gospel reading for Sunday's Mass. And as the same Holy Spirit who inspired the biblical writers, inspires us today with the truths he reveals to our hearts through his word. Now, here's David with Reflections from the Heart. Welcome, everyone, to another session of Reflections from the Heart. My name is David Abel. Today, I'm joined by Don Gleichman, Hannah Woodward, and Tom DeAngelis. Welcome, one and all. Thank you, David. Awesome, awesome. Everybody would take a moment and get their Bibles out and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, 38 through 43, and chapter 45, verses 47 through 48. And before we break open the bread of life, Tom, do you mind inviting the Holy Spirit into our hearts? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. And enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and we shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who by the light of your Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of your faithful, Grant that by your saint, that same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 In the Father, and the Son, Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. And Hannah, do you mind giving us a little gospel love today? Sure thing. Uh, the gospel is taken from Mark. At that time, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name who can at the same time speak ill of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than with two hands to go into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I think the first thing that occurs to me whenever I hear this gospel is that, uh, and it probably to most people is, you know, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow us and Jesus says do not prevent him so um, he who is not against us is for us and uh, and that's one of the things that I think we sometimes forget particularly about um, our you know our Protestant brothers and sisters our Jewish brothers and sisters that you know that uh, they're working in the same general direction that we are but because they don't necessarily subscribe to exactly the same doctrine as us Sometimes we think we have to interfere with them or prevent them or that somehow or another we need to win over them as opposed to us all looking at, you know, the direction that we're moving in. 
You know, this verse to me has a very personal meaning because one day I was up in my office and I read the verse that, that says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if he were, if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And I remember sitting back in my chair in my office and said, Phew, well, Lord, I didn't do that. And I heard this little voice, this quiet voice in my heart say, but you did, David. Oh, I said, no, Lord, I didn't. I never did something like that. And then I heard that still quiet voice, but you did, David. And one more time for the third time, I questioned the Lord. I said, but Lord, I didn't. I never did that. And then I heard this, but David, you did. When you chose to bring pornography into your home, you caused my little ones, your children, to sin. And I wept because I never looked at it that way. I thought that was my own personal sin. But then I realized, you know what? My children saw that pornography and it caused them to sin. And so I repented of that sin and I asked for forgiveness. And I went to each of the children who had found that pornography and I apologized to them and I asked for their forgiveness. And God renewed and restored and healed. But you know what? We are responsible for our actions and our actions can cause others to sin. So we must be very aware of that. And God's really serious in this gospel. Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, cut off your foot. We look at that and we say, oh, he's not really serious. But he is real serious about sin because our choices to put pleasures of the flesh and things above him could have an eternal consequence in our life if we don't ask for forgiveness and go to God for mercy. That really hits me personally. I think too when I when I consider the word sin, um, and that you know it's biblical meaning of missing the mark. Um, I often wonder. I mean, your example, David, is a is a you know is a pretty obvious one. And even though you know we we all do this with sin, you know we kind of cloud our minds <clears throat> against it, particularly after we've repented, and sometimes don't see the effects of it. But but I often wonder myself. Uh, when you think about missing the mark, how many times I've missed the mark uh, and been uh, not a, not the best example and maybe even a bad example for younger people or people that, you know, in my years of teaching that I might have influenced in, in a bad way just because I missed the mark on something, just because, you know, I took a shortcut or I did something, you know, or I, I got upset with somebody and, and thought it was justified in front of, uh, you know, in front of a class of students or something. But um, I think we're all, we all have a responsibility in, in the long run. And I think even though in some cases it might be more obvious, I think we, we all have to examine our conscience on where we fall short in those things because we're all, we're always influencing people around us and particularly children who look to adults, you know, in a lot of different ways to, to see what the the right thing is to do, to see what the thing is that I'm expected to do as an adult. You know, we, we absorb those things as children when we're growing up, but we're asked to correct those things and make sure that we're getting closer and closer to the mark instead of continuing to miss the mark uh, and sin. And, you know, that's so profound, Tom, because I was sitting here and the, the Lord brought back another story to me because this one had to do with my, my, my secretary at, at work. And the phone would ring and she'd answer the phone and then she'd check to see if I wanted the call. And I kept telling her, you know what, tell them I'm not in. Till finally one day I was walking by her when she took the call and she put it on hold. And she said, what should I tell them? And I said, you know what, just tell them I'm not in. And she said these words to me and it pierced my heart. She said, David, I'm not going to do that. I'm no longer going to lie for you. 
And I went, wow, that secretary is a child of God. And I was causing her to sin because I was her boss telling her to lie for me. And I never looked at it with those eyes until that day. And I went, oh, my goodness, as a boss, I have such a responsibility to not cause God's children, no matter their age, to sin. So that's another profound story that ties into this, this gospel reading. You're talking about using something that I learned in later life was called scrupulosity, where you, you look at yourself with, with critical eyes and you try to see where you've gone wrong. And if you use critical eyes, uh, we're, not, we're not without sin. We're not only not without sin, we have, not, we have probably broken every commandment there is. And I'm thinking about two stories that tie together. Uh, my parish, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Mechanicsburg, recently started a That Man Is You program. And in the first session, the leader was talking on a DVD about how he was in a group of people. And one man was claiming he was good. And an atheist in the group said, well, let's use an objective uh, standard to find out whether you're good or not. Let's use the Ten Commandments. Anybody here know the Ten Commandments? And he was the only one who did. And he named them, and he went through the list one by one, and the group turned out to average two and a half out of ten. They all gave themselves the same ones, and believe me, they were really skating on thin ice to give themselves two and a half out of ten. So a couple days later, I was over in the prison, and we were talking about, about sin and our awareness of it and the need to confess our sins. And uh, one, of the, one of the inmates said, well, what kind of objective should we use? And I remember this story back in our parish. I said, well, how about the Ten Commandments? Who knows the Ten Commandments? And none of the prisoners did. And so I said, okay, I can teach the Ten Commandments in about 10 minutes. And we went through the method of memorizing them. And then we started going through them. And I asked them, okay, tell me who is not guilty of any of these commandments. And they all raised their hands on the same two and a half. They were saying, oh, we all honor our father and mother, and we've never killed anyone. Uh, and in that definition of killed, it was, I haven't shot anyone who was not planning on shooting me, you know. And, <laughs> and honor father and mother means I've never, I've never slapped them or beaten them up yet, you know. Uh, but if we, look at, if we look at ourselves with a great deal of scrupulosity, we're guilty of all of us. We're guilty of all of the sins, whether it's killing reputations or whether it's uh, just speaking out in anger or disobeying our parents. I would rather be maimed of my pride and and blind of my ability to look at myself with any praise at all as I go into heaven instead of going to hell with, with that, that personal feeling. I'm going to go back to what Tom had shared because I think it's so important for all of us. The Catholic Church teaches that all baptized Christians that are Trinitarian baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are members of the one body of Christ. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Christ is the Lord in their life. So when we link arms with our Protestant brothers and sisters, whether they're Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Mennonite, Amish, I don't care if they're baptized. They're part of the same body of Christ. We need to lock arms because when there's division in the camp, the enemy's in the camp. And, and that's not of God. Jesus' prayer in John 17 is for unity. What do our brothers and sisters in Christ want to see in us? Christ. As Catholics, Christ. They want to understand 
how our understanding of Mary, confession, the Eucharist, and everything we believe as Catholic, Catholics bring us into not just a personal, but an intimate relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we're able to articulate that through our life's works of love, they're fascinated. They're like, wow, I want what you have. You are a brother in Christ. I want to work with you. And it takes down the division that the enemy puts in there. So for me, this whole piece of, and I love what John does here also is he goes to Jesus. He recognizes Jesus as teacher. And then he says, here's what we tried to do. And he he lets, lets the Lord analyze for him, was he doing right? And the Lord corrects him, and that's okay. Healthy correction is good. It's how we grow. So I, I, I love this verse, and I love the fact of John, teacher. Here's what happened. We saw someone driving out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him, you know, because he doesn't follow us. And Jesus replied, do not prevent him. So again, we need to constantly go back to the source of truth, go back to the source of life, go back to the Lord and ask him continually, am I doing right? Am I on the right path? Was this of you? And then listen. And that's that communion, common union with the heart of God. That's going to God daily and connecting to that heart of purity so that we can stay flushed clean of the impurities of this world that is constantly looking to distract us and take us off course. And, and two, you know, to pick up on your, your comment about, uh, you know, our Protestant brothers and sisters, I think, I think one of the things that I've come to appreciate over the years of doing gospel reflections and stewardship of leadership with, with people of other faith traditions is that, you know, it's one thing to be able to articulate clearly the difference in our faith versus their faith. It's another thing, and I, and I think sometimes people appreciate that, but nobody ever um, changes their way of thinking until and unless they see what a difference it makes in your life and how it makes you somehow or another brings you closer to Christ in a way that's obvious because of the way that you live your life. And and to the extent that I haven't excited anybody at that level, I have to look at myself and say, Lord, I, I fall short. You know, maybe I don't commit adultery and I don't murder and I haven't borne false witness. But am I really in your in your love, in your faith, in your truth? Am I really on fire with with the faith? Do I really have the Holy Spirit in my life affecting me in such a way that people want what you know the gift that I've been given? And to the extent that I that that, that doesn't happen, then I have to look at myself and say, where am I am I falling short? And why is it? Because it's not it's not the articulation of it, and it's not the logic of it. It's 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 me witnessing and saying. These things bring me closer to Christ. My devotion to Jesus's mother brings me closer to him. Yes. And but if if I don't live like I'm closer to him, uh, but if one of my Protestant brothers is closer to him and feels closer to him than than I do and there's no there's no difference there, then there isn't any good reason for them to want to embrace what we have or you know or pick up on the real presence of the Eucharist or if it doesn't make a difference in my life why would they want to embrace it and if, to the extent that that they have something maybe I need to be talking to them about what they have you know and that's great Tom because I I like to look at this and say you know what there's a division in the church Jesus put on my heart almost 11 years ago to be an instrument in the healing of the one body of Christ not an obstacle to share with, and this is what's key, to share with love 
and humility. How he brought me into not just a personal, but an ever-deepening, intimate relationship with him in and through my Catholic faith, don't teach from right and wrong. And that truth to me, you want to know where, where everything I believe as a Catholic is found in the Bible? I'll take you on a journey, a personal journey that the Lord took me on to show you the roots of our Catholic faith, you know? But when I say, I'm right, you're wrong, the wall goes up, it's all over, there's no more conversation. So, so many people, pastors and, 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 and evangelical colleges, they've embraced me because they realize I'm not there to convince them of anything. I'm there to serve the Lord and to share truth with love and humility, and they see Christ in me. And that's a constant purification. That's a constant, you know, staying connected to the body of Christ. So for me, the reason there's a division in the church today, we need to look in the mirror. That's beautiful, David. We need to look in the mirror. That's beautiful. Because there should not be a division. Christ prayed in John 17. We should be one. Look in the mirror. What role do you play in the healing of the one body or in your hardness of heart in the division? Because spiritual pride is the greatest of all sins. And the sword that's, that cuts it away is humility, is humility. So the two major weapons that, that Satan uses, I've heard, are, first of all, to try to convince people that he doesn't really exist. And the second one he uses is division. Division is always evil. If we divide, we've created evil. But I think also... Um, as a convert, I thought about this in, in the Catholic Protestant point of view a lot, but in speaking with the prisoners at, at the prison, I thought about those who know Muslims, who know atheists, who know Jewish people. We should look at every single person whom we encounter as a creation of God, as a child of God who was knitted in the womb and named and given a plan for their lives, every single one of them. And if we find one who is not filled with joy because they're fulfilling that plan of God in their lives, then perhaps they ought to hear or see the love of God in our lives so that they have that thirst. I was drawn to Christ by two men, and I said, I don't know what you have, but I want it. Can you direct me? And they, they answered the question. And that's beautiful, Don. I circled three words here in the second part of this reading. If your hand, if your foot, and if your eye... So I'm going to challenge everybody out there, all our listening audience, to just take, take a moment with the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit in and say, Lord, where is my hand taking me? That's away from you. Is it on a computer keyboard? Is it on an iPhone? Is it on a TV remote? Is it behind the wheel of my car? Where, is it a rate on a radio station? Where is my, is it the turning a page of a book? Where is my hand taking me? That is not towards you. And then ask the Lord for help to break free of that. Where is my foot causing me to go? Am I walking into a place I shouldn't walk into? Am I, walk, am I not walking into the church to be with you? Where is my foot taking me that's not taking me to you? And then, Lord, help me to break free of that. And they say the eye is the window to our soul. What am I allowing to come into my eye what television program, what computer, computer screen am I going to? What am I allowing into the eye that's the portal to my soul that is not drawing me closer to you? 
And then, Lord, help me break free of that. I'm going to tell you right now, the Lord's real serious because Gehenna, in the days of the Jews, was a place of a fire pit where they burned all the trash, but it was a symbol to the Jews of what eternal hell would look like. You don't die there. It's an unquenchable fire of suffering, devoid of love, devoid of God. We cannot as human beings even fathom it. We've caught glimpses of people that have totally gone to the dark side that are devoid of love. And we're aghast when we hear what they've done. That's nothing compared to eternity devoid of love. And it's real. There is a hell. And our choices have consequences. So I would encourage everybody, take a look. Ask the Holy Spirit, your hand, your foot, and your eyes. But I do want to give you a message of hope that Father George gave me in Ethiopia years ago that I live by. And that is this. Today's a new day. And here's the keys to those day, that day. That the past is in God's mercy. To go there only causes us to despair. Go, go, go. Get clean in the sacrament of reconciliation. Confess all of your sins. Allow that grace and the charism that God's given that priest to set you free in that confessional of all your sins and start a new day with the Lord today. Don't go into the past. It's a trap of the enemy. God doesn't live there. Don't beat yourself up. Get set free. Jesus Christ paid the price. Item number two, the future is in God's providence. To go there causes you to play God. I call it the what-if cycle. What if this? What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? Cause worry, cause anxiety. Stop. That's the insane cycle that has no exit. When you go into the future, you choose to play God. God doesn't live there, but he lives in the present moment. And the present is a gift from God to be opened and lived in love. Start a new day today. Go to the sacrament of reconciliation. Confess all your sins and get clean. And then daily, do a reflection. Invite the Holy Spirit into your heart to illuminate in your heart those pockets that are impure that need to be flushed clean. And then whatever our hands are causing us to do, our eyes are causing us to do, our feet are causing us to do, ask the Lord for the strength and the help to be set free so that we can truly be those vessels of his pure love, those lights on a hill that will draw others to come to know him, to love him, and to serve him. It's about the salvation of souls. God created you to be that instrument of his love. First and foremost, for his delight, he created you out of pure love. But secondly, he created you to bring Christ, his son, into the world through your uniqueness, to bring his pure love, his mercy, his compassion. Nobody else, not Mother Teresa, not St. John Paul II, nobody can do what God has created you to do, has chosen you to do from the beginnings of the world. Say your yes, say your fiat, get set free today, and then join with God in that great adventure that he created you for. And I, I for one, can testify, having been in and out of the habit of confession, that um, 
it is an incredible grace-filled experience to be able to get into the routine, get into the, the habit of either, you know, monthly, every every two weeks, what, you know, whatever works for you. But um, but don't get in the once a year cycle. Um, if you're a Catholic and you're, you know, you're, you're reading the scriptures, uh, you're drawing grace from that experience, but you also need to take a look at your life. And I think this gospel prompts us to do that. And uh, the grace of that sacrament is just unbelievable. It shows up in so many different ways in, in my life and allows me to see things more clearly. So I think that's one of the things that I, you know, I would just reinforce that advice from you, David, that, that that's a great, it's a great gift that we have in our, in our faith. And it's scriptural, Tom. The, mm-hmm. the scriptures tell us, confess your sins to one another. Jesus passes on that gift to the apostles when he says, whose sins you forgiven are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. The the counsel that I get from that priest when I confess my sins is so beautiful. It's as if Jesus is sitting there giving me his counsel, his love, letting me know how much he loves me, his mercy. I'm telling you, Tom, it is the greatest gift that the Lord uncovered for me because I had been away from that for 33 years. I hadn't gone to confession and truly confessed my sins. But at age 46, I did it. It set me free. And my life today is a life of abundance. It's a life that's a great adventure. So, boy, that'd be a huge encouragement, huge encouragement to everybody. Um, what I reflected on when I read this, at first when I read it, I didn't understand their worm does not die. And I didn't know what that meant until I really thought about it um, when I was little, I used to hang out with all the boys in the neighborhood and they would cut up the worms and they wouldn't die. And I, and I never understood, you know, why one die would just like regrow itself. And I guess in life, we're kind of the worm and we can be cut up by sin. Um, and, you know, we can multiply ourselves by growing sin in others and, you know, leading a bad life and being that negative influence on someone. So I think, David, you mentioned before we must die to ourselves, um, and that's when we're able to enter into the kingdom of God, and we get rid of that pride and greed and jealousy and cut whatever limb is causing you to sin um, off until we're able to be with God fully and wholeheartedly. And again, we're going to be serving someone, Hannah, so that was beautiful. We're either going to be serving the kingdom of God and growing it, or we're going to be serving the kingdom of the enemy, and our sin is contagious. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you again, everybody. And just, again, start again today. Start anew. Be that new creation in Christ and change the world. It all starts with you. God bless each and every one of you. Have a great day. Reflections from the Heart has been presented by Stewardship, a Mission of Faith. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, you might consider participating in a Gospel Reflection group. For information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection Groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection Group in your area, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org and click on Gospel Reflection Groups, or call us at 717-367-0100. Stewardship, a Mission of Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and depends on donations from people like you to make Reflections from the Heart possible. If you enjoyed this broadcast, please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting our website 
or calling us at 717-367-0100. On behalf of David and the staff here at Stewardship, a Mission of Faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him.